Section 23 of The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cooper Leaf. The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix by Homer Ian Flint. Part 2, Chapter 5. Chapter 5 The Super Race. It will be remembered that Billy wanted to get in touch with a creature having the characteristic which she had said she admired supremacy. A worker who is the boss. Bearing this in mind, her experience will explain itself, dumbfounding though it was. Her first sight of the Sanusian world was from the front of a large building. The former architect was not able to inspect it minutely, but she afterwards said that it impressed her as being entirely plain and almost a perfect cube. Its walls were white and quite without ornament. There was only one entrance, an extremely low and broad flat archway, extending across one whole side. The structure was about a hundred yards each way. In front was a terrace, seemingly paved with enormous slabs of stone. It covered a good many acres. Presumably, Billy's agent had just brought her machine from the building, for within a few seconds she took flight in the same abrupt fashion which had so badly upset Smith and Van Emmon. When Billy was able to look closely, she found herself gazing down upon a Sanusian city. It was a tremendous affair. As the flying machine mounted higher, Billy continually revised her guesses. Finally, she concluded that London itself was not as large. Nevertheless, her astonishment was mainly directed at the character, not the number of the buildings. They were all alike. Every one was a duplicate of that she had first seen. Cubed-shaped, plain-finished, flat of wall and roof. Even in color they were alike. In time, the four came to call the place the White City. However, the buildings were arranged quite without any visible system, and they were vastly puzzled, later on in their studies, to find every other Sanusian city precisely the same as this one. However, there was one thing which distinguished each building from the rest. It was located on the roof a large black hieroglyphic set in a square black border, which Billy first thought to be all alike. Whether it meant a name or a number, there was no way to tell. Footnote. Since writing the above, further investigations have proved that these Sanusian house labels are all numbers. Billy turned her attention to her agent. She seemed to belong to the same type as Smith's 
and Van Emmons. Otherwise, she was certainly much more active, much more interested in her surroundings, and possessed of a far more powerful machine. She was continually changing her direction, and Billy soon congratulated herself upon her luck. Beyond a doubt, this party was no mere slave to orders. It was she who gave the orders. Before one minute had passed, she was approached by a Sanusian in a big, clumsy-looking machine. Although built on the B plan, it possessed an observation tower right on top of its head. The four afterward established that this was the sort of machine that Smith's agent had operated. The occupant approached to within a respectful distance from Billy's borrowed eyes and proceeded to hum the following through his antennae. Supreme, I have been ordered to report for number four. Proceed. The case of insubordinacy, which occurred in section 85, has been disposed of. Number four made an example of her? Yes, Supreme. Whereupon the operator flew away, having not only kept his body totally out of sight all the while, but having failed, by the slightest token, to indicate by his manner of communicating that he had the slightest particle of personal interest in his report. For that matter, neither did Supreme. Scarcely had this colloquy ended than another subordinate approached. This one used a large and very fine machine. She reported, If Supreme will come with me to the spot, it will be easier to decide upon this case. Immediately, the two set off without another word, and after perhaps four minutes of the speediest travel Billy had known outside the doctor's sky car, they descended to within a somewhat short distance from the ground. Here they hovered, and Billy saw that they were stopped above some hills at the foot of a low mountain range. Next moment, she made out the figures of four humans on top of a knoll just below, a little nearer, and the architect was looking from the air down upon the same scene which the doctor was then witnessing through the eyes of Rolla, the older of the two Sanusian women. Billy could make out the powerful physique of Chorus, the slighter figure of Dolnop, the small but vigorous form of Kenora, and Rolla's slender, graceful, capable body. But at that moment, the other flyer began to say to Supreme, The big man is a tender of cattle, Supreme, and he owes his particular aptitude to the fact that his parents for twenty generations back were engaged in similar work. The same may be said for the younger of the two women. She is small, but we owe much of the excellence of our crops to her energy and skill. As for the other woman, indicating Rolla, she is a soil tester and very expert. 
her studies and experiments have greatly improved our product. The same may be said in a lesser degree of the youth, who is engaged in similar work. Then, coolly commented the Sanusian, whose eyes and ears Billy enjoyed, then your line of action is clear enough. You will see to it that the big man marries the sturdy young girl. Of course, their offspring should give us a generation of rare outdoor ability. Similarly, the young man and the older woman, despite their difference in ages, shall marry for the sake of improving the breed of soil-testers. Quite so, Supreme, there is one slight difficulty, however, such as caused me to summon you. Name the difficulty. The Sanusian hesitated only a trifle with her reply. It is supreme that the big man and the older woman have seen fit to fall in love with one another. Well, the same is true of the youth and the girl. This should not have been allowed. I admit it, Supreme. My force has somehow overlooked their case heretofore. What is your will? The Commandant answered instantly. Put an immediate end to their desires. It shall be done. At that moment there was a stir on the ground. In fact, this was the instant when Chorus began his vehement outcry against the tyranny of they. The two in the air came closer, whereupon Billy discovered that Supreme did not understand the language of the humans below. Footnote. The humans did not realize this fact. However, they assumed that they always understood. Yet the herdsman's tones were unmistakably angry. You will descend, commented Supreme evenly, and warn the big man not to repeat such outbreaks. Immediately, Supreme's lieutenant darted down and was lost to view. The commandant, glanced interestedly here and there about the landscape, returning her gaze to Chorus just as the man stopped in mid-speech. Billy was no less astonished than the doctor to see the herdsman's expression change as it did. One second it was that of righteous indignation, the next of the most abject subservience. Nevertheless, Billy could see no cause whatever for it. Neither did she hear anything. The other flyer remained out of sight. All that the architect could guess was that the operator had got the drop on chorus in some manner, which was clear only to those involved. Badly puzzled, Billy watched the four humans hurry away. Their manner all but slinking. A moment later, still another aircraft came up, and its operator reported. 
as before billy could make out not a single detail of the occupant herself she too wanted the commandant's personal attention and shortly billy was looking down upon a scene which she had good reason to remember all the rest of her life in the middle of a large field where some light green plant was just beginning to sprout a group of about a dozen humans was at work cultivating billy had time to note that they were doing the work in the most primitive fashion employing the rudest of tools all quite in keeping with their bare heads and limbs and their skin-clad bodies about half were women slightly at one side however stood a man who was not so busy to put it plainly he was loafing with the handle of his improvised mattock supporting his weight clearly the two up in the air were concerned only with him he is being warned three times supreme said the one who had reported the case three then make an example of him it shall be done supreme the lieutenant disappeared again the commandant glanced at this that and the other thing before concentrating upon what happened below then billy saw the man straighten up suddenly in his tracks and with remarkable speed considering his former laziness he whirled about dodged and clapped a hand upon his thigh next second he raised an exultant cry billy could not understand what he said but she noted that the others in the group echoed the man's exultation and started to crowd toward him shouting and gesticulating in savage delight then something else happened so sudden and so dreadful that the woman who was watching from the earth was almost turned sick like a flash supreme dropped headlong toward the group of humans in two seconds the distance was covered and in the last fifth of a second billy saw the key to the whole mystery in that last instant the man who before had seemed of ordinary size was magnified to the dimensions of a colossus instead of being under six feet he appeared to be near a hundred yards in height but billy scarcely realized this till later it all happened so quickly there was an outcry from the group and then the commandant's aircraft crashed into the man's hand a hand so huge that the very wrinkles in its skin were like so many gullies even in that final flash billy saw all this simultaneously with the landing there was a loud pop while billy's senses reeled with the stunning suddenness of the impact next second the machine had darted to a safe distance and billy could see the man gnawing frantically at the back of his hand too late his hand went stiff and his arm twitched spasmodically the fellow made a step or two forward, 
then swayed where he stood, his whole body rigid and strained. An expression of the utmost terror was upon his face. He could not utter a sound, although his companions shrieked in horror. Another second, and the man fell flat, twitching convulsively, and in a moment or two it was all over. He was dead. And then the truth burst upon the watcher. In fact, it seemed to come to all four at the same time, probably by reason of their mental connections. Neither of them could claim that he or she had previously guessed a tenth of its whole ghastly nature. The cane which Smith had seen had not been cane at all. It had been grass. The beetle in the stream had not been the giant thing he had visualized it. Neither had that fish been the size he had thought. Van Emmon's gold mine had not been a pit in any sense of the word. It had been the inside of the blossom of a very simple poppy-like flower. The nuggets had not been mineral, but pollen. As for the incredible thing which Van Emmon had seen on the ground, that living statue, that head without a body, the body had been buried out of sight beneath the soil, and the man had been an ordinary human, being punished in this manner for misconduct. Instead of being aircraft built in imitation of insects, the machines had been constructed by nature herself, and there had been nothing unusual in their size. No, they were the real thing, differing only slightly from what might have been found anywhere upon the earth. In short, it had all been simply a matter of viewpoint. The supreme creature of Sanus was not the human, but the bee, a poisonous bee, superior to every other form of Sanusian life. What was more, the damned things are not only supreme, the humans are their slaves. End of chapter 5. Recording by Cooper Leaf.